Hi, this is the Tulsa World Opinion Video Podcast. Thank you for watching or listening. And we've got a lot to talk about this week. I am Jenny Graham, Tulsa World Editorial's editor. I'm Bobby Sett, editorial writer and columnist. And we have a lot, but I was gone for most of the week. So I came back on Wednesday to all kinds of news happening. So Bob was in charge. Good job, Bob. Sort of. I, I will start by acknowledging that the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade just came out about an hour ago, and I, I'm just, I'm still processing it. And so it's this, this is not a surprise, but we enter a new era for the nation and particularly for Oklahoma, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but right now abortion is completely illegal in Oklahoma, except to save the life of a mother. Yeah, that's what I understand too. So that... That has a lot of consequences. Some people will cheer. Some people will be depressed, and there'll be a lot of activism on both sides. But, um, but I think we have our conversation for next week. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot to that's going to come out within the next few days or so. That's going to enlighten uh, where we're headed on this. Yeah, issue. and I'll, I think it's always probably better to like think before you talk. So maybe we should try that. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But the, but we have a lot else going on. We have the primaries on Tuesday, and um, you know we have our we put out a few endorsements that on Sunday we round up, and we usually don't. Our board usually doesn't make primary endorsements except for when the winner is going to be decided, and we have a few of those. Attorney General, um, there was a, a Senate race and a few others. And then in other cases, the board just feels strongly that um, making an endorsement, it may lead to the winner because maybe the the Democrat or the independent or libertarian isn't as strong. So this is most likely the going to be the winner. So anyway, you can look in Sunday, see that. But there was an interesting discussion that came up. And Bob, you can explain a little bit more of the discussion, but it was about Oklahoma's closed primaries. Mm-hmm. And we're we're actually considered partially closed because closed primaries are when only party members can vote in each party. In Oklahoma, we're considered partially closed because the Democrats allow for unaffiliated voters, meaning independent voters, to vote in their primary. So that's but the Republicans are still closed. So that's what that's what our situation is. What's interesting is that there is a national movement to change the primary system. And one of the big reasons is these are taxpayer funded. So Mm -hmm. I'm an independent, but my tax dollars are used for these elections for the parties to choose their candidates, but I don't get to vote. So part of this movement is recognizing that, you know, if we're going to pay for this, you know, we should all have a say or the parties can pick up the tab, pay for it or come up with some other way without using public money. But but anyway, what was, what I think this started with the Unmute Oklahoma, and I know that Mickey Edwards, former congressman, was quoted in the paper. Bob, Bob, what were some of the the thoughts behind the primaries? You know, aside from what you just mentioned there, um, I think in any election, the more participation that you get from the public, the better. And because our state is so dominated by one party, 
uh, in the legislature and statewide offices in Congress and whatnot. You know, if you're out of the process there, you don't really have a say in who uh, who gets to lead you, who gets to represent you um, until it's until it's over. I mean, you can write letters or whatever, but you know, if you can't really vote for anybody until all uh, all the bullets have flown. You know, what sort of a representative democracy is that? But I think the bigger thing that uh, we were discussing on this issue is what happens when only a small set of voters gets to participate. You get the most active people, the most uh, activist type of people who tend to be the ideologues. They may be at the further reaches of either of the ideological side of things. So what you get is we have a state that, yeah, we're a red state, but I've had plenty of conversations with people who whose beliefs on certain issues do not just follow some giant ideological checklist. It varies, but that's not how our representation looks because we have closed primaries. And, you know, but the fact is, is in primary elections, they don't have as much participation as the general elections. So the most motivated and the most ideological people tend to come out for the primaries and that's who we get representing us. Mm -hmm. Is that something that helps us get anywhere as a state? You know, I guess that depends on who you are, but most definitely um, we are seeing here in Oklahoma that we are mostly represented by uh, not just a conservative majority, but a very conservative majority and probably one that is further to the right than the rest of the state. When I looked up the the, the primary turnout, and we're talking mainly Republicans, because right now those are, I mean, most of, I mean, we have quite a few races being decided by the Republican primary voters. Like I said, the um, attorney general, the state auditor and inspector, those are all going to be chosen by just that segment of voters. And based on the turnout from 2018, in 2020 on the primaries, the Republican primary voters represented about 20% of the total eligible voters. So we have 20% of the, the total eligible voters deciding who those candidates are going to be. And even within their own party, the Republican eligible voters, they represent less than half. So yeah. less than half of the Republicans are turning out for primaries. So they're not even representing the full Republicans. And What's in even more, I, I've said they're kind of the extreme of the party because they are. They're the ones that are sort of, and, and you see in the commercials, everyone trying to out conservative each other. You know, yeah. like you say, it's a checklist. I can't tell the difference between the candidates. I mean, I, I cannot discern what the differences are because they all have to say the same thing. And even though some may be more moderate, they cannot say they're that because they, because they know to get out of the primary they have to be more to the extreme end of that spectrum. And so I think it's a dishonest political discourse that because they have to portray themselves as a certain way, I mean, there's no difference. And they're just in, for those of us who aren't going down that checklist, I'm like, well, I, you know, they're all the same there. It's, I don't think they're all being completely truthful about where they stand mm -hmm. and they're not, and I don't think it's a true representation. So, but there's so many different models out there being used that 
uh, Unmute Oklahoma is creating, is collecting a petition online of just, they're just, it's not an initiative petition, although I think that's the only way Oklahoma is actually going to change because, and this was a problem with the Democrats back in the day. Same thing. People in power aren't going to do anything that lessens their power, right? So they're, they're not going to change it. They're benefiting from it. So Oklahoma has an initiative petition, which I think is the only way to get that done. But, and be aware, as you know, Bob, the every session, they want to take power away from the initiative petition. They're trying yeah. to make it harder and harder So because that reason, because that has as much power as the lawmakers and lawmakers don't like that. So, um, but there is, there's the open primaries where, and I want to say like 15 states do this, where any voter can vote in either primary, regardless of registration, anything. But there are some others out there, and that's the one that Mickey Edwards and Unmute Oklahoma sort of back, which is the idea of any it'll bring out more people. The candidates will have will have more choices in candidates because they don't have to just appeal to one extreme side. Uh, but there's also this top two or top four. And, yep. Or a majority ballot, which is everyone goes on the ballot, you know, with your R D I L beside your name, and the top two move on, or the yep. top four move on. Ranked and then there was right, and, and or even like the top majority, like okay, we're going to take the top fifty-one percent. So we go to fifty-one percent. So that could be two candidates. It could, if one person gets fifty-one percent, they win, or it could be five. It just depends. They just go down until it hits, you know, fifty-one percent then they advance. So I think that would be, and then that way, if all those top candidates are Republicans, great. If they're not, either way, you know, it's just, it, the parties hate it because it takes power away from them. Because then you're voting on a person, right? You're not voting on the party. I mean, some yeah. people like. So I don't know. I just, I find that all intriguing. That's, I like that what you just said there, that the parties are afraid of people voting oh, yeah. for the person and not the party. Anybody I talk to, whether they mean it or not, they say this, I don't vote for the party, I vote for the person. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's just do that. Let's because, get rid of straight party voting then. Yeah, See, the yeah, legislature well, won't do a, that either. That would be a good step. Let's get rid of that because both parties have in the past mm-hmm. used that to their advantage to the detriment of the state. Um, I would say that probably the most damaging thing about the way we have it now is it crowds out candidates who might have a broader appeal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if people if people are constantly placed in this lesser of two evils type of thing, that's what turns people off. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't show up to vote, because they, they think, well, no one's any different than anybody else, and they're all a bunch of liars, and this guy's too extreme this way, and this person's too extreme that way, and... I don't like either. I just don't fit anywhere. Um, you know, the fastest growing segment of voters right now are independents. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's not some giant philosophical thing where I'm independent. Duh, duh, duh. Nobody tells me what to do. It's that they feel they don't belong in either party. Right. Because both of the parties have had for so long try to appeal to their most hardline base. And that's not where most people are at. A very small portion of people are there. Everybody else is somewhere between those extremes. And a lot of people just don't feel like they got a home. 
Right. Well, and even now, the when the candidates are out in Oklahoma, at least, and especially, and I know some of the conservative areas, the candidates don't even bother going to the doors of anyone that's not a Republican. Some will at least go up to the doors of independents, but if they're a Democrat, they just go by. And so some of the Democrats I know, I mean, they see it. They're na- they get a visit from the neighbor, but they get passed by. And the only reason is, you know, so they feel like, okay, so I'm not needed for you. You obviously don't care what I have to say. And so there's a strategy now in Oklahoma where they just don't even bother. And so, but that straight party voting is interesting in that in the last, I want to say the last governor's race, of of the people who voted for Kevin Stitt, I think 40% came from straight party voting. And so, and that affected all the down ticket. They all, you know, all the Republicans. And so I was, I've never done that. I've never, mm-hmm. I, of course, like I say, I'm an independent, so I, I don't straight party vote either way, but, um, but the parties will fight it. And, and, and I, you know, but like I say, it's going to have to take, I know I'm pretty dubious much will change in Oklahoma just because the power structure is so, entrenched but gosh just changing those primaries would really it would i think it would really make a difference so um, and and like i say we're all paying for these elections these elections are paid for by tax money so why are we paying for these parties to pick their own candidates then you know pick up the tab or or let us all vote i mean that's when i mean to me that's kind of you know just taxpayer money so uh, the other story that kind of caught my attention when I was away was Randy Crable wrote a story about dark money that's flooding mm-hmm. into the campaigns. And it's fascinating. And um, I have the benefit of sitting near Randy as he's reporting. And what's interesting, I don't think people realize, and and Bob, you go back a ways with reporting and you know, campaign finance reporting used to be, I mean, frankly, easier. You would go to the ethics commission, they would tell you, you know, you had to report. The Citizens United dis- de- Supreme Court decision changed everything. It, it is so much harder to find out where the money's coming from. I mean, there are millions of dollars being flooded into these campaigns, and they're nasty campaigns that sometimes candidates have no idea. Like, and in some, I know at least in one case, the dark money in one race went after this woman's opponent hard. Well, people were so offended by the that the way that that dirty campaign happened that they just assumed she did it. And she ended up losing the election because she couldn't control, she didn't have control over that messaging against her opponent because she was trying to run a clean campaign. She, she didn't. And there are laws regarding that these certain PACs can't be in in conversation or coordination with a candidate. But right now, I mean, looking at Randy's story, I mean, we've got you know, money going into even school board races that we'll yeah. never have to pay for it. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. I mean, there was a school board race. And he said that since he wrote that story, which I think published on Monday or Tuesday, something like $900,000 of, again, dark money that he can't track have been poured into to state races. There was one state race, I want to say that Logan Phillips is the incumbent that there's some dark money just going hard after him. And we can't, we can't figure out where it's coming from. I mean, same at the governor's level. There's, I mean, the state auditor inspector, Cindy Bird, she has a candidate that he's not in communication with us and um, has all this money for his campaign that we don't know where it's coming from. I mean, you can take a guess, but I think that's scary for the way our government runs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Supreme Court says it's First Amendment speech, but but it's I don't think people quite understand that it's very diff- it's not like it used to be. No, not at all. I think. Uh, and I would correct myself on the school board stuff and saying it wasn't just thousands. It was tens of thousands. It was tens of thousands. Yeah, there were school board races this past year that were as expensive as legislative seats used to be. That's astounding. Mm, yeah. You know, in the state auditors race, you mentioned that you've got a high profile, well, high profile, so, you know, an incumbent. Who, <laughs> yeah. She's been there. People know her name pretty much in a low profile race, but an established candidate running against somebody in her primary who has almost no profile it was suddenly gifted 600,000 <laughs> from somewhere from somewhere yeah, so, so you have to start thinking who doesn't like the auditor and go backwards from there but you can't ever really prove these people paid this money and that's what's really frustrating because you know we always had this sense of follow the money well our our laws and our 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 supreme court decisions have said that we really can't do that yep. and that's that's not made our government better. So, um, but again, you know, I go back to, you know, all these campaigns are just propaganda. I mean, they're just slick sort of marketing kits that are put out there. And so that's why I know that we've always put more emphasis on debates and forums and, and try to get candidates to answer questions off the cuff because you find out a little bit more about them. And, and now we're seeing more and more candidates not wanting to participate in those. And that that is highly suspicious because what are they afraid of? What, what, what are they not able to speak to? Because if they're supposed to represent us, they should be able to answer to us. So um, I'll think about it this way. Um, you remember uh, in the 2020 election and people started digging up who was given to who and everything like that. I'll just throw this example out there. It's just an example. It's not an ideological statement. But some people have found out that the Toyota Motor Corporation had given a chunk of money to different senators and members of Congress and stuff like that who ended up voting to uh, contest the 2020 election. And there was a strong social media, you know, some people might want to call it cancel culture thing, to pressure Toyota to not give to these people anymore. So for a while, Toyota was like, all right, we're going to rescind all that stuff. But, you know, eventually they went back to whatever they were doing because that's what corporations do. Um, I can see where donors don't want that. They want it in secret so they don't have to answer for what they've done. They want to keep it quiet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way Randy was describing it is that you'll have like a pack and then the pack would you and depending on how it's classified would uh you know go to the ethics commission and and give to their donors but then they have these 501c4s at the national level so a lot of time and they don't have to report who their donors are so you have these local packs and donors donating to the dark money groups at the national a national dark money group but then funnels that money back to a you know a candidate or a pack or whatever and that's where you can't find where their where their money's going so of course people are going to do that so i don't know the fix of it because it's it's complicated but i'm just i refuse to think that there's not a fix and 
part of the problem with that Citizens United was part of it was the, you know, Congress didn't do their job or they did and it didn't, I don't know. I, like I say, I just, I, I don't want to give up on trying to fix this because right now it's just, it's so harmful. What um, was the figure that uh, Randy had mentioned that's gone into the governor's race? Oh, I thought it was like 1.5 million. It was something like that. It was over a million. Oh, into, I think it was multiple millions. Yeah, and into where you just can't track it. Who's who's and, and who's behind it, and 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 you also think of why, what what you know, what would, what what is someone's beef that they would you know, put that kind of money behind, trying to defeat somebody. You know, what's yeah. the motive there? So because there's always a motive. I mean, it's yeah. not because they're a good guy. So um, speaking of uh, motives, good guys and bad guys. The Epic founders, the Epic Charter School founders were arrested on RICO charges. That's sort of major. I didn't think this but, day would ever happen. I mean, and granted, they are innocent until proven guilty. But this, they have been, this, and I want to say up front, this is not about the model of virtual charter schools. Absolutely, that's a good model. It works for students, and we back it. We've always backed it. It's just these specific founders have always had shady business practices and they have bought influence through lawmakers who I really hope people will remember who carried their water yeah. that made an uneven playing field. I mean, they had laws written specifically to protect them. They broke the lax laws. <laughs> Virtual charter schools aren't even under the State Board of Education. This is how out there it is. And it's been since 2013, OSBI has been investigating them on and off. It took media investigations by our reporter, Andrea Eager, and the Oklahoma Watch got on it early, to try to force finally through just, you know, media to get a lawmaker to ask for an audit. And then Cindy Bird did her job and found, she called it the biggest embezzlement in state history. Think about it. I mean, that's huge. 22 and, mil. Yeah. And and that's just what she thinks they just, or that the OSBI is alleging just took. There was another just things that were misspent, money moved around, things that you cannot do. And what, what gets me about this, and these founders have spent millions of dollars in campaign donations, yep. millions. And that's, that's not even through dark money. They actually just gave that up front. I can't imagine what they have given in dark money. But... It's they just had people protecting them, and it the the OSBI investigation has been going on three and a half years, and it was I, I just I knew it, we all knew it was going on, and we just thought what what is happening here, and they were booted out of their positions at Epic. So, but you know they're gonna, there'll be a trial, but Rico's pretty. I mean that's racketeering. That is, and I their state charges right now, but we know that federal feds are interested particularly the IRS. So, um, you know, I hope justice is served and I hope people will realize that, you know, I look at this as like the worst part of politicizing education, that these are guys who wanted to make money mm -hmm. off of the school choice movement. And they did. They made a lot. Yeah. A lot. I mean, they scammed taxpayers out of a lot of money. And I think of all of the schools that were hurting through this time, students that didn't get the resources they needed, teachers that didn't get the resources they needed. And again, it's not the model of the school. That was good. And other people, in the, and we have other virtual charter schools that are good. 
they were just, these founders were, were just, were not playing by the same rules. So I just say, finally, I think everyone said, finally, we've been hearing about this for years. So do you ever think about how weird it is, how weird it would sound if you heard that the people run like Casha Hall or Lincoln Christian Academy were funneling millions of dollars into their own accounts? Yes. Like yeah. if you had like TPS was suddenly had a line item budget thing where they were going to lobby the legislature for, you know, several million dollars, how weird that would sound. Oh, we have sent the, the traditional, and that's a good point. I have done stories, I'm sure you have too, on administrators in the traditional brick and mortar schools that we've sent to prison, we as in the state, um, for much, much less, much less. I mean, the, the whole thing is ridiculous that it took this long and let it go this far. I mean, I've, I can go back and find cases where we've, where, where administrators have gone for, for much less. And you know, some of these things were like, imagine, you know, Deb Giz starting a, a company and that company gives services, consultant services to TPS. TPS pays that company and she pockets it. That's kind of, that was one of the schemes they had going. That yeah, would never crazy. be allowed. That would be, that would, there was no way that would be right. And so, yeah. but that was what they were doing. So anyway, that's playing out. So that's sort of the other big thing I came back to. And I'm like, wow, I didn't think that day would ever happen because I'm that cynical when it came to it. I just, I just saw the political influence they had bought. And, and again, I was kind of fell into that. Well, hopefully justice will be served. You know, like you said, these are allegations that got to be proven in court. Right, they do. Not, uh, but I just, you know, I mean, at a minimum, we know there was mismanagement. I mean, they've been yeah. sanctioned by everyone except for the, the court system. I mean, they've been booted out of their own district that, you know. You know. That's a, to uh, paraphrase how the kids say it, um, considering these are big boy felony charges, they mm -hmm. messed around and they found out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the other kind of interesting, and I was following this when I was on my trip, which was the TPS meeting last week got a little crazy and frustrating because I wonder why people were there. I mean, it's just sort of, I wondered if they knew why they were there, but it came down to, uh, it, to me, it was like such an ultimate distraction. And for the background, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Tulsa Public Schools, I think have, for whatever reason, they're a group of Lawmakers in Oklahoma City have decided Tulsa Public Schools is going to be a target, whatever. So um, <clears throat> that just is. But there was a board member, Elena Ashley, had been putting some stuff on social media, a couple of things that were controversial, viewed as anti-LGBTQ, anti-public schools, frankly. And so uh, there were a group of people <clears throat> who were advocating possible training for the board to understand you know, diversity in students, you know, LGBTQ, that kind of thing. So that got on the radar of Ryan Walters, the education secretary, who's running for state su state superintendent, who wrote a letter that I was just sort of a little taken aback by, slamming, basically asking the, the board not to allow speakers at the public meeting because of the wokeness, the left leftist mob that were run, that the we, the, the TPS board, because my kids go to TPS, that's why I say we, um, <clears throat> run by these, you know, ultra liberals. But at the end of it, he just said, don't basically let them speak. And our board said, we can't do that. So, so anyway, 
I guess there was a movement among conservatives to wear American flags to the, the board meeting to show support for this board member. And then the LGBTQ activists were wearing flags and the, the pictures I was seeing online, it looked like the weirdest parade ever. I mean, it just, um, and in the end, it was because you have to sign up for citizen comments a week before. So there were only like, I think seven or eight people who actually did the parks and rec thing where they spoke. One of the things I was a little disappointed in was there was a teenager that spoke. I want to say she was 13 or 14 about just defending LGBTQ students and she was booed. And I just think, no, we don't boo kids. If there's a kid who has worked up the confidence to stand in front of a school board and in front of strangers at a public meeting, even if you just can't stand a thing they're saying, you don't boo them. That's just not what we do. And I thought that was very disappointing. What would happen, let's say, mm-hmm. let's just pick your school. We'll just pick your school, Edison High School. And the basketball team takes the court and they play somebody, you know, pick your team. And for whatever reason, you know, win or lose, a bunch of Edison parents just started booing their own kids. Can you imagine how outrageous that would be? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was that was the thing. I'm like, you know what? Adults can disagree. And, you know, this thing has gotten so politicized that I don't even know if some of the people knew why they were there except for, you know, wokeness. But that's just the line you can't go. You can't boo kids. And I think at one point when they were booing, someone said, she's a kid. And then some of her friends stood behind her. And that was the, the one thing that was really disappointing was, you know, show up, have your say. But, man, we got to be respectful. And we got to teach kids to be respectful. So yeah, um, that's a terrible thing to do to a, to a teenager. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten up and spoken anyway when I was 13 or 14, much less this. And so, you know, I... And believe me, there are kids that come from all different backgrounds. I'm around them all the time. And, you know, they're kind of learning, learning the world. So let I them learn. I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a, a famous photograph, a black and white photograph um, from Little Rock. I think this was back in the 60s. Yeah. Where they finally integrated schools. And you've got this obviously nervous young black girl carrying her books to school and behind her you see this panorama of white people and you can tell they are angry and they are yelling at her and god knows what horrible things they were actually saying mm-hmm. now i'm not going to go and say that the people who were booing this kid at the meeting last week are like those people but i kind of am I just, that's the line that they don't crossed. Do that. Yeah, like, have your opinion, talk to the board, but don't boo the kids. So, um, yeah. but ultimately, it's a distraction. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what's the biggest thing facing our schools? We, we can't, we don't have enough teachers. We don't have substitutes. We have a, a legislature that's not funding them at all. Hard, I mean, they got no raises in, at a time when we have inflation at 8%. We've got so many other things that this is not the issue. This is, I mean, you can ask teachers, the teachers will tell you, the students will tell you the biggest issue is not wokeness. It's they can't get an AP physics teacher. The biggest issue is we need a mental health counselor in the school when a kid comes to school in a, in a crisis. 
That's what we need, not this. So that's what I want to just end with <laughs> because I just like, I don't know, just sort of. But um, but uh, I'll tell you, I just want to, uh, the other story that caught my attention was Jacob Factor, reporter, wrote a story on the per permitless carry uh, law that we've had, and we've had it for a few years, but it got national traction. And I sort of was, I kind of caught onto it on social media, which is where he was, where there we have a lot of these kind of second amendment auditors is what they call themselves, or just people who are really into the second amendment. And they, they strap themselves from head to toe with like semi-automatics and pistols and, you know, riot gear. And then they'll walk into, in Broken Arrow, an AT&T store. And it looks crazy. And in their minds, they're auditing the Second Amendment to educate people who are freaked out and call 911. And they're like, no, I have a right to be here. And it's true. That's where Oklahoma's at. But if you're going to dress like you're a mass shooter walking into a park or a mall, expect people to call 911 because that's where, because we have mass shootings every week. So... Mm -hmm. Jacob was talking to law enforcement who basically said, yeah, this is a problem. We're getting calls all the time because these people are just sort of being confrontational. And, you know, and so that, you know, we're finally getting some law, law enforcement officers to give some opinions that where we've come in Oklahoma, because I think permitless, open permitless carry, I think it was been placed in 2019, 2018, that it has, caused, yeah, it has caused more problems than anything else. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, I don't know. When I see someone like this, it is scary. And I'm not anti gun, but I'm very well aware of mass shootings and I don't view guns as a fashion accessory. So I think we're finally maybe trying to get some people to address that at least. So let's just throw this out there. I've known many, many police officers going back a couple decades now, some of whom I consider friends, personal friends. Um, this is generally a group that supports Second Amendment rights. I don't think that's an overgeneralization, right? Right. Uh -huh. you know, most police officers, they have a healthy respect for guns, and they right. also have a healthy, uh, I'm not going to say attachment, but they have a, they like their guns. Let's just say it like that. Uh -huh. And Jacob talked to, I mean, we heard, first of all, we heard, uh, uh, Wendell Franklin talk about this and then Jacob talks to a bunch of other uh, police officers and other departments across the area and their message is pretty much all the same is that yeah if you're nervous you should call 911 we support the law this is the law but we also understand public safety is an issue here they're being very diplomatic in saying this particular law is a problem for us and it's a problem for the public because, you know, let's, let's take this into consideration with the most extreme example that we can think of that's legal. And that's carrying something like an AK-47 or an AR-15 or something like that. You know, a semi-automatic rifle that, you know, it's not your diet dad's 30-06 or your brother's 12-gauge. It, a, a, it looks like a weapon of war. In public... I mean, where would you think something like that would be like, yeah, no big deal. This is this is where it belongs. Yeah, I can't think of a single place. Maybe a gun show. Well, gun range. 
Yeah, you're you're going to go to like a gun range to practice target shooting, yeah, something like okay. that. Or you know, if it was in a military setting, uh, mm-hmm. or let's say police anti riot type of stuff, it'd be something where they have these just in case things go really bad. You've got something to defend yourself with, or in the military situation, uh, this is the type of weapon that your soldiers need to carry out a mission. But just walking around, it is odd. And when you think about what happened over at St. Francis, this is the the theoretical thing. Mm -hmm. Is the shooter in that case, he was legal right up to the moment that he entered the building. I think St. Francis has a no weapons policy. If they don't, then, then he would have been legal to enter the building with his weapons. Uh, but I'm pretty, hospitals pretty much go that way, you know, no guns in here and stuff like that for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, if criminals shoot up other rival gang members or something like that. You don't want somebody coming in with a gun and finishing the job. It's just not a good thing. But to get back to that point, that shooter was within his legal rights and his purchase of the weapon and his carrying of his weapons right up to the point where he was going to enter the facility and nobody could do anything about it literally until it was too late. Mm-hmm. Right. Until, and some people say it's legal until the moment of shooting. Yeah. Well, and then the, the example of in Broken Arrow, the guy who went into the AT&T store looking like he was entering a riot, he was actually arrested for carrying brass knuckles and they had an outstanding warrant, which, indic- which I'm like, okay, if he has an outstanding warrant, should he have even had guns? I don't know, but maybe it wasn't that kind of warrant, but uh, but yeah, so all of those things, brass knuckles is what brought them down. So, but, you know, I've been in situations where I've had, and especially when my kids were younger and even, with, and especially parents of little kids, if you're in a situation where you're at a park and there's a guy walking around looking like he's going into the Middle East or something, you're going to call 911 because you just don't know. Well, what a waste of time for the law enforcement officers if it's just some person wanting to make a point. You know, so that's where it's, I think, getting harder for, for law enforcement. And it puts law enforcement at risk, too. So I I hope those conversations continue because I think change is going to have to happen. And I, I know we're, we're sort of on board with that. So if you have um, a profession that is generally the most pro-gun profession out there outside of gun dealers saying, hey, uh, we got an issue here, maybe we ought to listen to them. them. So you've got a column this weekend. Tease us with that a little bit. Yeah, so we had the transportation secretary come in to visit with us uh, to talk about the uh, Gilcrease Expressway. And the conversation about that eventually moved into other areas about, you know, what the the turnpike system is doing, some of the pushback they've gotten, some of the where they see transportation going. And it was just a really interesting look ahead, look at what's happening now, and also looking at how turnpike system is dealing with some of the infrastructure problems that we've created for ourselves in the past. So I hope it doesn't come off as some kind of like a, yay, turnpikes are amazing. Uh, Nobody likes paying toll roads or anything like that. Um, But at the same time, I think you can predict uh, where things are going um, in terms of infrastructure and transportation and how communities develop by taking a look at how our turnpike system is evolving. And that's pretty much what it's about. Yeah, well, 
Turnpikes are turnpikes are good, but yes, the 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 cost does bum me out, especially because you can't get out of Tulsa without paying a toll. So I get that, but at the same time, roads are. I mean, that's what we want. Our, that's what we want, we want our government to pay attention to. Our to me, infrastructure is the number one thing government should be handling. We want roads, clean water, you know, sanitation. Those are the kind of things that I think are first and foremost, and then gets all this other cultural stuff. So. Yeah. Um, but my column this week was not in the opinion section. It's in the scene section because I went to Branson and I wrote about Branson. This may be, I mean, I believe I took teenagers. It was different. That was our little summer quick trip. My daughter couldn't go because she has a concussion from Palm. And here I'm throwing it out for everybody. If your child can break an arm, which she did in middle school and get a concussion, it's not, it is a sport. I, I don't, I'm, the people who talk about cheer and dance not being sports, no. She has a concussion from a dance move. So it is a sport and she's recovering. She couldn't go ride the thunderation or fire in the hole, but my son did and it was fun. And so, you know, but anyway, so that's why my little quick summer trip, you are moving. Moving's yeah. awful. Yeah, I am the early mornings to late nights. I mean, generally we've been go to work during the day when the day is over, have some dinner and then go work on the place you're moving out of until uh, generally been knocking off about midnight. Moving yourself stinks, but I have a question for you. Uh-huh. So on your trips to Branson, are you seeing anything that resembles like the TV show Ozark? Uh, I think that's the seedy side of Branson. I should find that. No, I'm seeing all the cheesy sides. No, Ozark, that's a, I see, I have not spent a whole lot of time around like the lake. So maybe if I spent more time around the, the lake culture, you know, Table Rock Lake, I would. But I think there's a little, there's a lot of that side. I mean, I'm my family kind of is from the Ozark area, like from that. So uh, yeah, that's there. But I try to, when I'm taking the kids on vacation, staying away from the uh, Ozark side and sticking with the, cheesy kitschy and here's the thing when you go and do that you just got to lean into it it's cheesy it's kitschy it's what it is but just lean into it <laughs> and then you can deal with it so, so but i'm hope but i think my kids are sort of grown out of that phase so maybe we'll be looking at other other things from now on although they, they complain teenagers will complain about it then they get there and they love the rides because they do have some pretty cool rides okay. but um but yeah it's what it is but yeah so no poppy fields no mausoleums full of cash no i wish i mean I, I don't wish to be in the situation of ozark but um it would be a good story to tell i don't have any like good stories to tell from trips to branson you know it's wholesome fun bob come on wholesome family fun it's what we're about we buy the fudge we get the cinnamon bread we whatever so anyway. no Marty birds up there, huh? Exactly. Well, um, we'll have a lot, I think, to talk about next week. This was a, a full, full time here. So I hope everyone has a good weekend. Fourth of July is coming up next week. So maybe we can find and the primaries. If you if you can vote, go vote. A lot of us can't, but if you can vote, go vote and hopefully choose some good candidates for those of us who don't have a shot of choosing them. So um for our elected officials. So anyway. Until next week. See ya. See ya.